millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, and you are very welcome to The Tonight Show. Tense scenes in Ross Gray as protesters and guardy clash as 17 asylum seekers are moved into a local hotel. Ross Gray has enough. Ross Gray has enough. Just has enough. Ireland's top two billionaires are wealthier than the bottom half of the population. We debate whether a wealth tax needs to be introduced. And Donald Trump seeks the first victory of his re-election campaign, but will sub-zero conditions impact the Iowa caucuses? We go live. You can't sit home. If you're sick as a dog, you say, darling, I've got to make it. Even if you vote and then pass away, it's worth it. man has been arrested after a scuffle between protesters and Gardaí erupted outside the Racket Hall Hotel in Ross Gray, County Tipperary, as a bus containing 17 asylum seekers arrived. Protesters have been outside the hotel since last Thursday, when it was announced the premises would be used for international protection applicants. Well, joining me to discuss this further is Fine Gael Senator John McGahan, People Before Profit TD Paul Murphy, from the Irish Independent, Sinead Ryan. And down the line is crime editor with the Irish Daily Star and Murr, Mick O'Toole. And live in Ross Gray for us this evening is Independent TD, Matty McGrath. You're all very welcome to the programme. So this was the first tranche of applicants to arrive into this particular hotel. We understand, Mick O'Toole, that there are going to be 160 people facilitated within this premises over the next couple of days. Can you briefly outline the sequence of events as you understand them to have happened today. So there, ha- there have been protests at this site since last week. I understand that the, the asylum seekers or applicants were due to be housed in the Racket Hall Hotel last Friday. That was obviously delayed. There were significant protests. Uh, we know that there was a rally Deputy McGrath was at it, I believe, on Sunday. So there were quite a lot of local people who were opposed to this. So, um, Gordy have been evaluating this and they said, issued a statement after the events today that um, they mounted a uh, they mounted a confab, I suppose, with other stakeholders and the decision was made to bring in Gardaí backed up, uniform Gardaí backed up by what's called the public order, you know, what you and I would call the, the riot squad. And the, the riot squad were in their vans and they escorted the, va- the minibus containing 17 asylum seekers to the hotel. And then they decamped and effectively formed a cordon to get the asylum seekers from the, the bus into the, the hotel. And that's when we've all seen that the footage, there did appear to be some scuffles, I suppose, 
between some protesters uh, and Gardaí. Perhaps the protesters are trying to break the lines or whatever, but there were there were clearly scuffles. And as you say, one man was arrested. Now, he was arrested under the Public Order Act. It's not the most serious of crimes, but he was arrested. So he was later released without charge. And there is now a file being prepared by the for the Director of Public Prosecutions by Gardaí. And just to be clear, I think a lot of the time now when we hear international protection applicants, we assume that it's going to be single males. But this was women and children largely? Yeah, no, no, I I wasn't there, but I, I've seen the, the video footage and I could definitely see women and children there. So it looked to me uh, that it was mostly women and children, if not all women and children, uh, who were being escorted in by the public order unit this, this afternoon. OK, and we know, as I said, that there are further applicants due to come into this hotel over the coming days. But there have been calls by protesters to gather this evening again at 7pm and to continue that protest. Is that happening, Mick? Yeah, yeah, I understand that the protest is going is ongoing. There is both the presence of Guardi, no, not the public order unit, uh, but ordinary uniformed Guardi, I suppose, and protesters. And I think it ebbs and flows. Some people go, some people come. But look, you know, there will obviously be a Guardi presence there for quite some time. Like we have seen protests really right across the country at this point, Mick O'Toole, but I don't think we have seen this level of a Garda presence. We certainly don't think I've seen the public order unit escorting uh, asylum seekers into a building before. Do you see this as a change, a change in tactics and strategy by the Garda as to how they're going to manage these protesters going forward? That, that's possible. I think Gardaí were stung by criticism, by criticisms of the initial stages of the the riots in Dublin on the 23rd of November. They, they were stung by that, and I think have also been stung by the number of unconnected arson attacks in various other places around the country. So, you know, perhaps there has been a sea change. Now, look, people on the on the left and the right will both accuse. Gardaí have been heavy-handed before. Gardaí do use force, and after the riots in Dublin. Commissioner Drury Harris did issue a, a circular to all Garda members saying you are entitled legally to use force. Now, you know, the Garda were at pains briefing after this to say, look, although the public order unit was there, they have access to various things, including helmets, bat, long battens and uh, shields. And none of that was uh, used today. And the Garda were wearing their soft caps. So they just seemed to be slightly passive, just like that, and forming a cordon rather than, you know, doing a what you might consider a baton charge or, you know, getting stuck into the, the protesters. It seemed that they were trying to be more passive in this case. But there, there's no doubt that guards have been stung by criticism, so this may be a response to it. All right, uh, Michael Tull, thank you for bringing us that update. I want to go to my uh, panel here briefly. John McGahorn, it does look like there's been a sea change here, a different response from Gardaí. Is this a new <clears throat> strategy and is it something that is welcomed by the government? I wouldn't say it's a new strategy. I'd say it's reacting to what we've seen. So take Jackie Cahill, the local TD there. Uh, he was reported today that he had been given a live threat uh, where an individual told him that this they would burn this place down. He reported that to a Garda superintendent. We have seen where two uh, places, one that was earmarked, one that wasn't whatsoever, have been burned to the ground. So I think the police reaction today was warranted given the level of threat that we have seen in the first place. But I suppose when we've seen other protests, we'll all remember, I suppose, the burning of you know tents around Sandwood Street, there did seem to be an approach where you stood back. That was how the Guardi handled it. This seems different. Look, we are seeing the public yeah, order unit yeah. accompanying these people to this hotel. And I was glad to see the public order unit there. And I think the uh, guards had a very appropriate response today as well, and the right response, because the Garda there were there to protect A, the asylum seekers, and B, to protect the people that were there protesting as well. And what I would say to conclude about it is, 
these people are humans. These are women and children who care, might I add, are coming from situations that you and I can't even imagine in our worst nightmares. And they're coming here for safety and sanctuary. And to have adults shouting and screaming at them as they got off those buses like baying mobs. Mm. It reminded me as a child when I used to see as a 10-year-old in the 2000, 2001, 2002 era of children my own age at Holy Cross in Belfast being shouted and spatted and screamed at by adults. We are far better than this as a country. We really are better than this as a country. And that didn't make me proud today to be Irish. And right. we are better than that. Let's go to Matty McGrath, a local TD in the area. Were there baying mobs there today, Matty McGrath? Can I first say the line is very intermittent, so I'm sorry to hear that. And I'm standing here in Rossway tonight uh, alongside a group of local ladies. And the first thing I want to say was, I was here Saturday as well, and all weekend, huge crowds of very uh, decent people, ordinary people, no banging mobs. And these people today didn't cause any rights. And to bring the right squad down here today was an affront to democracy as far as I'm concerned. All the people here want to is be consulted and to be listened to, that the town is full. A welcoming town who have taken so many already. They have over 85% of the uh, IPAS people who are in Tipperary are here in Rossway. This was a functioning hotel up to last Thursday and suddenly it's closed and this contract is done behind closed doors and no consultation with us, public reps, are much less with the people here. And Councillor Shane Lee, who watches here tonight, wanted me to say that also. And business people I've met here this evening are appalled because of what uh, is going on on the, on, the, on the media today. The people of Rossgrey, as I said, are decent people. There was no threat to anybody today. And uh, actual fact, I think three uh, ladies, three females and four children, and the rest were males who were brought in secretly. So they made the people walk through then the young people and, and, and their parents. And that's unfortunate to make them go in there. Just literally to create a scene and to portray people of Tipperary as unwelcoming okay. and uh, anti-migrant, which they're not. OK, hold on, Matthew McGrath. The of the, the situation. But the protesters had said... That's that the they facts. would, that the they had created a barricade and that they would block any vehicle that came to the hotel that had international applicants on the vehicle. So the presence of the public Please. order unit was warranted, some would argue. It wasn't warranted. My opinion, I will be asking the questions, the Minister for Justice and with the Minister, or with the, with the Garda Commissioner. As I said, Ardney Gardy, the seven in this town, where there used to be 27, we don't have enough numbers that we should have. The Gardy need the support of the people, and they get the support of the people in Grass Grey and all over Tipperary. But this was a bad day for Garda public relations to have people pushed and dragged aside that weren't threatening or, or in danger to anybody's life or, or limb. OK, let me just put that to Paul Murphy. Do you agree, I think Matty said earlier, this is a bad day for democracy. The Gardaí should not have been there at the scene today. I thought it was a, a terrible day for all those people who, who stand for basic respect for other human beings, basic welcome for the human beings. I mean, my, my heart broke. People should look at the videos online of kids scared witless because they are literally being escorted into this place that's going to be their home. They've come from who knows what uh, in terms of oppression, violence, war, what they've fled. Young, young kids and are being shouted at and have people trying to break through police lines to, to get towards them to what end, I don't know. So I, I think that is horrendous, what people saw. I think the vast majority of people, I would say, in Ross Grey, I would say around the country, reject that. Uh, those people who did it should be ashamed of themselves. But politicians like Matty McGrath who spread 
lies and misinformation. I watched a video. Okay, I'm not I watched, quite sure, and I, you can make the accusation that there's a, a lie in what he is saying. No, no, this I, is a hotel I, I watched, in the area that people no say is essential I, I watched, to the survival of the community in the area. I, I watched a video of Matty McGrath in Tipperary two days ago telling a crowd of people it's a colonisation of our country. Okay, it's a takeover of okay, our country. McGrath, That's just far-right rhetoric that? with no basis in fact, and no wonder it results in scenes like that. And the vast majority of people reject it, and people are coming together, trade unionists, community activists, ordinary people, anti-racist activists, for a big mobilisation on the 24th of February okay. say, no, we okay, reject look, this that's racism, a pretty strong we reject this hate. That you've made against Matty McGrath. Do you want to respond to that, Matty? So you're breaking up badly on me, but I do, of course, reject this out of hand. There was no racist comments today and no racist behaviour here on Saturday or all weekend or at the moment, and they're welcoming him. And there is other accommodation within 15 miles. I passed accommodation already signed up where this 17 people could have been brought today. And we try and negotiate a way around this here and have a peaceful uh, welcoming for those people. Nobody wants to frighten children or women of any, of any nationality, and that's not the, what the people here want. But this is a bit rich for for Deputy Murphy, the call, he uh, accused me of lying. He organised a mob that detained Joan Burton. OK, uh, all right, look at Maddie McGrath, we really don't want to get into that. hours one day. That didn't happen, to, but that didn't happen today. Or nothing like it happened. It was peaceful. OK, uh, the colonisation comment, was that made, Maddie McGrath? Sorry? Uh, Paul Murphy said Sorry? that you said that there was a colonisation uh, happening. Was that a comment that you made? Look. Look, many comments have been attributed to me, but I've been told by Minister O'Gorman and O'Brien that uh, 10,000 more will come this year and possibly 15,000 next year. I have been calling since April 2022 to have a debate around this, a sensible, balanced debate, and show, uh, show us where we're going and a roadmap. There is no roadmap. We can't keep open borders and allowing that kind of numbers in here. Ross Gray certainly is full at the moment. They have more than their fair share. They're welcoming people, have proved that, and will uh, negotiate with people in a civil manner. And I'm very surprised with Deputy Cahill to, to, to make that comment if he had information, if it was said to him, to portray people in Ross Nobody wants any building burnt. Nobody wants Aston. And like that. A burnt building is no good to anybody. This was a functioning hotel which the business people and the townspeople had booked. Okay. First communions, confirmations, okay. uh, weddings, you name it, and funeral dinners, and now it's gone. Okay, let me just, Can I just let John respond to that. Thank you very much. That is so nakedly political by Maddie McGrath to take a pot shot at Jackie Cahill, a man elected by the people of Tipperary who had a legitimate threat reported to the guards, to then talk I about a sensible debate. Let's have a sensible debate, but using terms like colonisation, using in, terms in like planting. Talking, sorry, Maddie, I didn't interrupt you, if that's okay with you. To then get up in the doll as Maddie did three months ago, and to talk about the Great Plantation, to talk about Davos, to talk about these grand conspiracies, you are now reaping what you have wrought over the last 18 months with your missing information, your conspiracy is what you've said in our national parliament. This is nakedly political. This is basic politics. This is an election in 10 months and this is looking for a couple of extra votes out of ballot box. That's what this is. Sinead Ryan. Uh, Disgraceful comments. I just want to go to Sinead Ryan here because not everybody who is protesting there today will have been involved in the scenes that we saw. Do you have any sympathy for the community in Ross Gray and other communities who say, like Matty McGrath's pointing out, this is a hotel, it's not about refugees, we need this facility in our community in order for a community to survive, we have no other services. Well, I do think that the people of Ross Gray and indeed Matty McGrath uh, are, are right. There are uh, single men that we should be scared of down there tonight, but it's not anyone in that hotel. It is those people outside uh, acting as if something has descended on them 
from another world. I'm thinking of small children looking out of the window of that hotel tonight. I've been in Racket Hall many, many times. And by the way, there are 100 strangers in that hotel every single weekend. They come to weddings, they come to 21st, they time. come to events. Nobody's bothered about them being strangers to Ross Gray. And I'm thinking about small children and their mothers uh, looking out the window at those protests tonight. I, I dare say that some of them think they haven't left where they came from at all. Uh, if that's the so-called welcome they've got. And I don't know if anybody here on the panel has read Paul Lynch's book, uh, Prophet Song, which is the, the Booker Prize winner book. I would hand out a free copy of that to everybody sitting in Ross Grey and get them to read it tonight. There, for the grace of God, is any of us. OK, but to the point that some people in those communities will make, we feel we have taken enough. We feel there is a shortage of services. We feel there's a difficulty with hospital places, with GP places, with school places. And actually, rural Ireland is dying on its feet. And one of the things you need to survive is places like hotels, well, places where people can gather, as Matty said, to hold communions or weddings fine. or funeral gatherings. That's, that's the reality and of living a, there. As a cogent, clear argument, uh, I have no problem with that because the government in one sense has shot itself in the foot over this entire issue. Because what they have done is, uh, Matty's saying, oh, there's no consultation down there and lots of other places have complained about that. This, this is a wartime situation a lot of these people are from. You don't have time for consultation. However, there is absolutely a way that the government could have handled this better. It did not know from where these people are coming from or indeed some of the numbers, but they definitely knew they were coming. So planning this around setting up, uh, the way we did with City West, the Curragh Camp is there. There's lots and lots of spaces that you could have planned this a little bit better mm. without arriving into very, very small towns and villages because it is that that creates the fear, which is entirely misplaced, by the way. There is zero evidence that anybody in that hotel tonight or indeed in any of the hotels that have been taken over are a danger to anybody. It's the people outside that are. Okay. But, I, but that said, there is a consultative piece that hasn't been done. Uh, the Gardaí are between a rock and a hard place. When they stand back, they're criticised. When they wade in, they're criticised. Um, and I think that um, clarity around this whole issue has to be given now in a far greater uh, sense. Yeah, it, doesn't the government have to take real responsibility here, John? I mean, we had a re press release today from the department to say 190 locations across the 26 counties have been identified and utilised in the last 12 months. They've had to use 190 locations like Ross Grey, like this hotel, because they don't have the proper facilities to deal with the people coming in seeking refuge. And that's government failure. So, a couple of things. Of the 190 facilities that have been in place since January 2022, how many protests have we seen at 190? Maybe at a dozen, a handful. But it's, and the uh, but vast you know majority. It's not, it is not the best way to house individuals. <laughs> two, two, two points that I would say about this. In the vast majority, when you talk about protests, in the vast majority of situations, people are coming into communities, they're being welcomed. They're being welcomed by local people, they're getting involved in local communities, yes. and that's a very good thing. Yes, but uh, we have seen a change. Your, you have to say, we've seen three protests in the last seven days. There has been a change, John. Back, back to your question about uh, what are we trying to do as a government. Um, it's clear to me, Kira, that our job is to try and explain this as best as possible. Our job as a government should be to try and dispel as much misinformation as possible. A trope that is always thrown out is this concept of unvetted males. Doesn't exist. 
Everyone that comes to this country through IPASS is vetted. Their okay, fingerprints are checked. Okay, back to the checked. point of having proper facilities like City West okay. that means that you don't have these points of conflict between communities who say, we just want to keep our hotel versus the government saying, we've got to find accommodation for people so, in need. So two things I'd like to say about that. First of all, one of the things the government are now looking at is legislation has been prepared. It's going to be passed very quickly. And it's about actually building dedicated areas where people who are coming through the IPAS system can be held. Yeah. Do you that, accept that that's very late? We are now two years into this crisis, this emergency, where we've had an increased number of people coming into the country. Yeah, but it's taken two when, years to get to this point. When you say the increased number of people, you have to look at how much people have actually come here. So, for example, in IPAS today, there's 26,000 people. Four years ago, that was 5,000 people. Yeah, exactly. So the have... government surely should have responded before now? Well, one of the things that we tried to do at the get-go was to try and... I th well, no, I think it's actually safe to say that even two years ago, before all this really kicked off, would any of us have been able to say that we'd have 110,000 new people living here? Difficult to know. I think we but could have I said really it a year do, ago, John. I, I really do believe, though, the way forward for this is what the government is doing, to have those centres built. That will take a lot of tension out of areas that we see. And the final thing is, the world is on the move. The world is okay. moving at the minute. We have more people coming to live here, but they're coming to live here because we're a good country okay, and very people want to live briefly, here. Briefly, Matty McGrath, if he's still there and if he can hear me, um, we understand there are further yes. international applicants coming to the Racket Hotel over the next couple of days. Given the hostile situation we saw today, would you be encouraging protesters to stand down? And could I, could I, if the protest is standing down at 10 o'clock at night, I understand, to allow those visitors to sleep and have some rest. It's traumatic for everybody. But again, to repeat, that people of Roscoe are very welcoming people, always have. They have so many people here working in the national, the international community, in the meat industry, and many other uh, facilities. And they will take people and have. But this was done ham-fisted, and the government policy is a disaster. It's deliberate uh, putting people into areas like this without planning. So we need a proper policy policy that's cohesive and talking about building centres now two years into it is much much too late and, and then they talk about international obligations and Geneva Convention where are the obligations to, uh, to house our home our okay, home our right. uh, 14,000 homeless 4,000 children that's an obligation to house those and we can do this then to persecute ordinary decent people like happened today it was wrong 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 and it can't be can't be made right all right look we're going to, have to leave that discussion uh, there for now my thanks to Martin McGrath and to uh, Mick O'Toole for joining us after the break. The richest 1% of the Irish population holds more wealth than one-third of Ireland's overall wealth. We debate if a wealth tax is now needed. You're very welcome back. A new report from Oxfam has highlighted that the richest 1% of the Irish population holds more wealth than one-third of Ireland's overall wealth. So is it time the government look at introducing a wealth tax? Well, Fine Gael's John McGahan, People Before Profits, Paul Murphy and the Irish Independent, Sinead Ryan, have all stayed with me to discuss this. Uh, Sinead, this came from an Oxfam report. I think they publish it mm. fairly regularly. Inequality Inc. generally coincides with this World Economic uh, Forum that's happening in Davos. Bring us through, I suppose, briefly the major findings of this report, because yeah. well, they will catch people's attention. I think the, the key point of it really was that in, amid all of the numbers and all of the headlines, that the gap between rich and poor is widening. Now, we knew this, um, but sometimes when you hear the numbers and they're very stark, um, 
I suppose there is that sense that the 1% aren't pulling their weight, um, as it were, whether that's within one country like Ireland or, or more likely within uh, countries like the United States. And there was a figure to billionaire. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Living in Ireland have yeah. the wealth of more than I think half yeah. the lower end of the population. Yeah, something like that. And and I'm not sure who the billionaires are. I do know there are many more Irish billionaires who choose not to live in Ireland so that they don't pay tax. At uh, the top one percent of earners in Ireland, interesting enough, because there's all, often this narrative that we don't have a progressive tax system and we don't tax the wealthy enough. I, I don't know whether we do or not, but it is certainly progressive. I mean the PAYE. Uh, pay-as-you-earn tax, uh, has resulted uh, in the top 1% of earners in Ireland uh, pay a fifth, over a fifth of all tax. Uh, The top 20% pay three-quarters of all tax. Uh, And then there are... um, Not all tax, all income tax. Income tax, yes. You're you're quite right, yes. Income, USC and PRSI. Um, Well, not VAT. Uh, as such, although I'm sure they do. Um, so the, the point is that sometimes we hear one set of figures, and I'm not justifying the gap in any way whatsoever. Um, I am firmly in the, the lower middle of it, I would think. You're but not in the top the, 1% I'm Sinead. certainly not. Uh, I, I would possibly find uh, something else to do tonight if I was. But uh, amid all that, I think it is important. Uh, Organisations like Oxfam, Oxfam, of course, have their job to do and put out these reports and these numbers and they're terribly stark and can be very distressing to hear, and they are. Um, but there is a counter-narrative um, that explains it. It doesn't necessarily justify it. It's not necessarily the right thing to do, but it does explain it. And if we want to generate an enormous amount of income tax that we can then spend on the roads and the schools and other citizens who are not wealthy, then it has to come from somewhere. And at the moment, it is coming from those people, like it or not, and there are very many people who don't. Okay, and you're one of those people, Paul Murphy, that doesn't like it, that doesn't think uh, that these top earners pay enough. For for you, what is a wealth tax? Is it a tax on income and what should it be and where should it be introduced? Yes, so we propose at People Before Profit a millionaire's tax, a tax on net assets as opposed to uh, income, net assets exceeding a million euros. So the first million euros you have, including minus your mortgage, your debts and so on, first million euros, we're not going to touch it. And then we want to tax 2% of that that is above that. And what you would raise from that is 5.9 billion euros 
Oxfam has similar kind of figures of slightly different methodology with one of them they come up with close to nine billion euros. Okay, why would that not work, John, do you think? I think it's pretty clear. I think there's a number of issues with uh, wealth tax and we've seen examples of that. I think if you were to introduce a wealth tax, you'd see a flight of capital. I think you would see people who actually create jobs in this country leaving. The examples are France. They introduced one in France. Macron, who's a centre-left politician, abolished it, realised that it wasn't... A, he's a centre-left politician in the European context. And Paul, look, just leave, this, leave the sneering for one minute. Uh, what I would say is, um, look at the Oxfam report, for, for example. 1% of the richest people in this country pay 20.2% of our tax base. 0.1% of that pay 7.6%. So the wealthiest people in this country are already paying the most amount of tax. The final thing that I would really much rather see than Paul talk about a wealth tax right now is I would rather see middle-income people on 42 grand a year actually not being taxed at 41%. Okay, everybody would say Paul, you're in election no, no, near and mode no, coming point, out with that because make, we're here just, to discuss just, the wealth just to make that tax point. tonight. Just to make that point. I would much rather see people getting money back in their pocket. I'd rather see tax in middle class. Paul votes right. against it. Because he's only interested in taxing very well wealthy people. Because no, if, we're talk, if we're talking about taxing wealth and taxing assets, which is a different thing to taxing income, mm. well then surely we should be looking at property tax being taxed properly. I mean, at That's the moment, property... Yes, bringing in about 500 million quid a year. Like, it's, it's paltry. Why, why do, uh, is property tax not taxed um, to a far higher level on those wealthier homes? Do you know the four wealthiest councils, which are all in Dublin, voted to reduce by the maximum of 15% the property tax that was payable across the board. If you want wealth tax, that's where the wealthy people live. Okay. Tax it. Paul Murphy, that is where the wealthy people live and some of the greatest wealth in this country is in the property that people own. Why not tax their property as a start? Well, let's not tax their family home, which is just a place that they that they live and exist. I, I think we're why missing... Why not? I don't understand that. Because if you want to tax for your average, wealth in this country, for my, for why my, not tax my neighbours, family home? For but my neighbours... over a million, you for, do. For, my, for over a million, you do. we do. Uh, yeah, well, but, up on the Vico but, Road, there'll be, there'll be multiples of that. Look, so what can I, am I not, yes, can going to be allowed to make some points today, right? So this is the actual discussion, not what we talked about earlier. It is the billionaires who people in Ross Cray and across the country should be angry about. They should not be angry about children who are fleeing war from Afghanistan or wherever else. They should be angry about the fact that this country has more and more assets than ever before, angry about the fact that the vast majority of new wealth that is created ends up in the hands of a tiny number of people. They should be angry about the fact that just two billionaires own as much wealth as the bottom 50%. They should be angry about the fact that the five okay. richest billionaires doubled their wealth in the last number of years, while the bottom 50% or 60% of the world's okay. population got poorer, right? But this is the reason. Want, because if, if you're wealthy, if you're in that billionaire-millionaire category, you're pretty wealthy. Yes. Why not tax their property, their we, family home. We, let's tax More. all their financial assets exceeding a million euros and let's raise six billion euros and do it because it is a political choice. It isn't an accident. This system is set up. It is a completely okay. immoral system. the argument that John system. made, it's it a is, flight of capital. That's what'll happen. That's what'll Billionaires happen. are just able, they're of, able to sure, leave. But of course they're going to say that. It's like Ryan Tuberty, the impression being given, oh, if you oh, didn't pay Ryan well, Tuberty yeah, 400 but, grand but, or whatever, it'd be off. He Turns was. out, no, yeah, he got 90. <laughs> he's, and he's, do you know how much he's getting paid? He's getting 90 <laughs> grand. <laughs> well, 
right? So that, so like, of course they want to give that impression. We've had many billionaires leave. It's a choice to have 13,000 people homeless. It's a choice to have a million people on hospital waiting list. It's a choice because they allow corporations why is it the case that a number of our billionaires have already, they're not, they wouldn't even consider living here. They're living in Switzerland. They're living in different parts of the country. They're not here. Yeah. Who are these two billionaires? So the point is, do you, want, uh, pr- do you want prudent economic management? Or do you want to say, oh, should they say that anyway? You know, so the whole point about this wealth tax is... To the is, point that he, he the, has the, made, look, the, these billionaires, whoever they are in Ireland, yeah, two, if you want to leave two, to get better sorry, tax, you'll have left. Two, Maybe two, there's other reasons that they are here and they might be willing to continue to stay here and contribute exactly, more tax. And they're paying a massive chunk in tax here. If a we, massive chunk? Are if, we, if we introduce this today, I guarantee you those two people will be gone out of this country tomorrow morning. We'll be paying 183, we'll be 183 days a year in the country or whatever it is. The point is very, very clear about this, and I have to re-emphasize this, Uh, 1% of the richest people in this country account for 20%, just under a quarter of our tax base. A wealth wealth tax will just scare capital away. It will uh, take away people who are actually creating job opportunities in this country. And I would much rather see tax benefits for people in middle-income earners rather than wasting time talking about Uh, this type of stuff. Paul Murphy, do you accept what's been said here by both panellists, that the tax system, okay, it mightn't be perfect, you think yeah. they should pay more, but it is progressive in the, Ireland. The income tax system is progressive, yes. You tax system that. as a whole is not progressive. The bottom 10% pay the same as a percentage of their total income as the top 10%. They both pay around 30% because the bottom 10% are spending much more of their money on, okay. they're spending it all and they're paying VAT on me, it, for example. Me. So the indirect taxes mean that our tax system is not a very significantly proportional system. Okay, sorry, just to bring in Sinead. Didn't the Commission of Taxation, though, say that we do need to increase and look at wealth levies, taxes on wealth? Yes, and, and I don't argue with that. I, I think there's very um, much scope. I think part of the problem with our taxation system is it is too narrowly focused. It is entirely reliant on things like VAT, which, as Paul said, is disproportionately charged to poorer people. No question about that. We've won the highest VAT rates in Europe. Um, but because we rely on it so much, we can't change it. Uh, we rely far too much on foreign direct investment, as we know, and we don't tax that enough. Lots and lots of creative ways we can do it. Uh, I'm not sure going after two individuals in the country who we don't even know their names is really going to be the answer to all our problems. We're talking about all the millionaires in the country, 5% of the population, 90,000 What I would just say, and again, this is just black and white facts, there's 38 countries in the OECD. Ireland is ranked third out of 38 for the most progressive tax system. What does that mean? We tax the wealth and we redistribute it to the people in the lowest incomes in this country. We We are a good system for taxation in this country. Okay, so we have a progressive tax system, but they also, the OECD says, we have huge inequality in the system too. Do they not say that? I, but like, in, in what sense? Like, we are a country that is, sorry Paul, we are a country Thomas that people. is, we are a country that is flying economically, and as a government, we are working really hard to reward work, to make sure that we cut taxes, and to make sure that we put money, money back in people's pockets, because okay. that's what really counts in Let's the middle of all of this. Let's just go back to not that trying to, Not trying to tax 0.1% who are already paying 20% of all our tax in this country in the first place. Okay, what about what the Commission of Taxation did say, a report that I think was fairly dismissed by Fine Gael, but they did say they recommend increasing wealth levies. Yeah, what I, wealth levies do you think could be increased? Well, when you talk about the level of wealth or people that are wealthy in this country, they're already, as I said, I pointed out the figures there, but they're also paying stuff like inheritance tax. They're paying tax on their assets. They're paying a wide variety of tax already. 
That's so you don't course. think the wealthy, the top 5%, the top 1% can afford or should well, what, be paying any more? Well, Is that for well, the well, policy? No, no. What more should they pay if 1% of the wealthiest people in this country are paying just under a quarter of the entire tax base? What more do we, what more do we want here? We have a very good tax system, a very progressive tax system. The richest people in this country pay the most, as okay, it should the be, point and that's that what's happening. Sinead Ryan made that when it comes to property tax to some of the wealthiest boroughs, yeah. let's say, in Ireland, I think they're in Dublin, that those councils have actually voted yeah. to take the lowest level of property tax and out well of the areas possible. And well, I tell you why, and I can't speak maybe for Dublin, but I, I've sat on the council for six years and I see it. Sinn Féin, people before profit, left-wing councillors regularly vote to decrease property tax by 15% or keep where it is. They're taking a million quid bit more, if not out of council funding. That's why. Is that true, Paul? We're, we're opposed to the property tax. We would de- decrease the property tax to zero. Even if it's in one of the wealthiest neighbourhoods in, in Dublin? And instead, we're in favour of an actual wealth tax, which ta- right. taxes not just property, the multiple properties of these people, but taxes financial assets, which is where the money is held, in for, financial assets, it's uh, okay. not overwhelmingly it's in for, property. It's for okay. one Sinead, ta- last word to Sinead, you're shaking your head there. I just... Uh, the. the uh, Hypocrisy, un- unbelievable. So we won't tax wealth. Um, we want to tax wealth, but not the property of the not, people living not, out yeah. in million euro houses. Not the first million euros of someone's family home. Why? Because, right. because it's just a place because they live. Voters. They don't make any because money they're from voters. It's That's just why. their home. They don't right. want to tax voters. That's okay, the issue. Look, I'm going to have to leave uh, that conversation there for now. My thanks to John McGahan, to Paul Murphy and to Sinead Ryan for joining us this evening. Up next, US election season officially kicks off with the Iowa caucuses. We go live. Do join us. You are very welcome back. Republicans from across Iowa are braving blisteringly cold temperatures to have their say on who the party's next presidential candidate will be. Donald Trump remains the hot favourite with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and former UN Ambassador Nikki Haley still in contention. Just about. Shortly before coming on air, I spoke with former White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney and started by asking him how, despite not attending any of the debates and having barely canvassed in Iowa, some national polls have Trump as high as 69%. <laughs> A couple of different things. Probably first and foremost, he has handled the 90-odd criminal charges against him just masterfully. He's managed to turn this potentially career-ending negative into an amazing positive. His message, Kira, is this. Look at me. Look what they're doing to me. Imagine if they can do this to me, what they can do to you. If you don't want it to happen to you, send me to Washington, D.C. And that message is resonating not only with his hardcore base, but with also some centrist independent voters. So, yeah, the number that I've seen in the mid-60s nationwide is is stunning to me. I thought his ceiling, even within the Republican Party, would be 40 or 45 percent. But clearly he's exceeding all expectations. What about his team, particularly the team that he has on the ground there in Iowa and, of course, right across the states? They're also, it has to be pointed out, at a real advantage. Now, I see him with the new hat he has, Trump's caucus captains, I think they're being called. They have real experience, experience now of running elections. What is the machine on the ground like, Mick? They do have experience, but if you're looking for something to happen tonight, again, the caucuses begin here in about three hours, 
if you're looking for something to happen tonight, it's actually Ron DeSantis, who generally is accepted as having the best ground game. Why is that? Caucuses are very different than primaries, Kira. It's a uniquely American thing. You don't go into a ballot booth and pull a lever and then leave. You sit in a gymnasium with your neighbors and talk about who should be the next president for a couple of hours. And then at the end of that, you write on a piece of paper who you think you would support. And people can cajole others. People can sort of try to influence others. It's a, it's a public thing. It's a group participation project. For that reason, it is different than an ordinary primary. And Ron DeSantis has hired most of the folks who helped Ted Cruz beat Donald Trump in 2016. And while Trump has a good ground game, Nikki Haley has a good ground. I think it's generally accepted that DeSantis has the best. And if you see him outperform expectations tonight, that might be in large part why. Uh, Nikki Haley, what can she do? She's now in second place, and of course this runner-up place is really important. Is there anything she can do going forward, do you think, to become a real challenger here, Mick? Well, she has to finish second today to, to sort of become a real challenger. If she doesn't finish second, then she will miss her expectations. We talked just a second about Ron DeSantis exceeding his. If Nikki Haley does not finish second and she finishes third tonight, then she sort of limps into New Hampshire, where she is polling extraordinarily well against Donald Trump in a state where independents can vote. In Iowa, only Republicans. In New Hampshire, Republicans plus independents. So if she exceeds expectations tonight and does a really good second, Ron DeSantis is probably out of the race. If Ron doesn't finish second tonight, he's probably finished. So if Nikki finishes second, she pretty much clears the field and it's just her and Donald Trump going into New Hampshire. If she finishes third, then she goes weaker into New Hampshire. She then has to go to her home state of South Carolina next, where she's not polling particularly well. And it could be a sign of weakness for her campaign moving forward. So again, we're looking more tonight, not just the results, but the expectations and whether or not people exceed them or fail to live up to them. Uh, Mick. People like you and I love watching these caucuses. We're going to really enjoy watching these primaries. We will debate at length who is going to get this Republican nomination. I wonder, are all of these conversations a little bit in vain? Is this really a coronation of Donald Trump come what may? It depends. Uh, go back to the same theme we've been discussing about expectations. Donald Trump is going to win tonight. I think everybody sort of accepts that. If he wins with 55% of the vote, that's a huge win for him and, and, and certainly the closer thing to a coronation, as you just mentioned. If he wins with 45% tonight, he still wins, uh, but he wins without getting that magic uh, majority number, 50% plus one, and that will be perceived as weakness, not a loss. But weakness. So if he wins tonight with 45, Nikki Haley does extraordinarily well, maybe comes in second place with 25 or 30 percent, um, then New Hampshire is going to be a real dogfight between the two of those folks. So again, it's not a coordination. It could be. But again, we'd be looking at what Donald Trump's expectations are versus his performance tonight. Mick Mulvaney speaking to us just before we came on air this evening. Well, joining us now live from Iowa is Business Post US correspondent Marion McCohion. Marion, I'm glad, first of all, to see that you're indoors this evening because everybody is talking about these life-threatening temperatures. Just how cold is it going to be there at 7 o'clock this evening when these caucuses really begin in earnest? And how are they going to affect attendance, do you think? 
Uh, well, Kira, I just jumped indoors for this uh, and um, we'll be heading back out again very shortly. Uh, I think the cold is going to be a big factor. Now, I was very interested in what Big Mulvaney was saying about the ground games. Uh, yes, I just came from a Ron DeSantis event in Council Bluff and they have got people out there, but I don't think it's going to make that much difference. Uh, what all of the campaigns are doing, and particularly Donald Trump's campaign, outside of the city areas where the roads are pretty okay around a Without further, where I am, uh, near Council Bluff, they're absolutely terrible. And the cold is, they're expecting it to get down to minus 41 around 7 o'clock this evening out where I am. Now, they're, they, they want to drive older people to the caucus centres because they feel that some of them are very nervous about driving there themselves. So there is that kind of a game where you drive your neighbour, you take yourself. Um, it's very typically community, though, in rural Iowa to do it this way anyway. Uh, so I think the cold is going to be a factor, um, possibly more so in the extreme rural areas like where I am. Uh, and uh, we, we'll see how that plays. A lot of people think it might disadvantage Donald Trump because the people who are really rooting for him tend to be in the very rural areas as well. And um, when it comes to this particular battle, as Mick said, look, it looks like Trump is going to take it. It matters sort of where, at what point he takes it. Is it really a, a sort of a battle of expectations here? Uh, oh, I think so. I think that it's very interesting because Nikki Haley just sent out emails earlier saying, well, you know, a year ago, Donald Trump said that he was going to win by 60%, and now he's only going to win by 30%. So therefore, he's losing. And you just think about the parallel universes that go on in these campaigns. Anybody who wins a caucus or a primary by 30%, is in a really strong position. Nikki Haley is trying to make the momentum case at the moment that she's creeping up with him, she's creeping up with him, and that yes, you know, even if he does beat her by 30% or 28%, you know, six months ago he was beating her by 60%. Not the most convincing argument in my mind, but you know, she is performing pretty well on the stump, but I think a lot of what I'm hearing out here is that Nikki Haley will do well in Des Moines and around the Des Moines area, around the rich, college education, suburban areas of Iowa, but everywhere else she isn't in with a chance. Now, Ron DeSantis was supposed to be the big rural challenger to Donald Trump. As I said, I just came from a couple of his events and they were pretty sad and pretty downbeat. And, you know, you really, it's very hard to see how, notwithstanding that he has spent last year here, that he spent $100 million here, that he allegedly has a great ground game here, that, you know, he's polling at around 16% in the Des Moines Register poll, which is usually pretty reliable. So it looks like he hasn't really made the connection he needed. And all that money, well, you know, not well spent. Um, we mentioned at the top of the programme that Donald Trump has barely been in Iowa. He hasn't uh -huh. featured in any of the debates. He refuses to participate. And then you have somebody like Ron DeSantis that people have such hope for. He has practically, as you said, moved to Iowa. He has visited all 99 counties. He's got this huge ground game. Where did it go so wrong for him? You know, in a nutshell, his personality, he's so awkward on the stump. He tried to do Trump 
sort of mini-me Trump, so he went to the right of Trump and everything. That combined with the absurdity of some of the things he was doing, like picking fights with Mickey Mouse, you know, obsessing over transgender people. And, and he just seemed like a bit of a bully, a bit of a thug. And really, people in Iowa, they could care less about these issues. They don't understand why he's picking on those things when what they're worried about, a lot of them are very interestingly, really worried about the border, but they don't like DeSantis's way of doing it. They don't see the point in flying migrants up to Cape Cod. You know, they, they don't they just don't get why he would be doing that. They're concerned about the economy. They're concerned about the state of America. He comes across as a little odd, a little chippy and a little mean. And I think that with Donald Trump, you know, crudely putting it, it's a cult. It really doesn't matter if he doesn't show up. It doesn't matter if he shows up and insults people. People are in the tank for Trump. And I've discovered this. I've been coming here now several times since early summer last year, and they really believe that Donald Trump won in 2020. Therefore, they believe that Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley and Vivek Ramaswamy have no business even challenging him, that he shouldn't even be, this shouldn't even be a contested caucus. So there's a very strong feeling of that. And also, one of the things, Kira, I'm noticing is a lot of younger people are now going for Trump because they're with him on the border and they're identifying with the sort of white nationalist um, aspects of his campaign, which is really what his campaign is about, along with retribution right. and revenge and, and that sort of populist thing that is really connecting with a lot of people here. Okay, Marion, the first of many conversations over the next couple of months. Thank you, Marion McKeown, as always. That is it from the late team here. Good night. Thank you for watching and do take care. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.